Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season four of the 100 Mass Men series where I anonymously interview different men from all walks of life about masculinity, sex and relationships, and how that contributes to our self-worth. Continuing with this week's theme on dismantling the social construct of gender, Masked Man at number 87 is the drag queen. He shares a story about how drag helped him come to terms with the shame he felt for being feminine. In this episode, we learn about how this man was continuously punished for performing any non-masculine behavior and how that rejection made him repulse himself and try to follow the gender standards taught to him. We talk a lot about representation here and how his experience was being a Mexican man embracing both his feminine self while also maintaining his family ties and culture, especially with his relationship with his mother. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the show. I would say that my first instance of masculinity was literally as a child. So when I was a kid, I'm the youngest of of three siblings and we're separated by six years. So it's my older brother who's 12 years older than me. And then there's my sister who's six years older than me. And then there's me as like the youngest. And when I was first growing up, I was always drawn to my sister's toys. As in, like, her Barbie, her, like, bracelet-making kits, and the TV shows she watched, everything like that. When I was growing up, I was really drawn to all that stuff. And it's funny because my first exposure to masculinity was my desire for femininity. Because as I went for stuff like that, quite immediately, my family like my dad, my mom, my cousins, my siblings took immediate notice before I noticed what I was doing, which was breaking gender norms. And I remember um, growing up, my dad would say things like, oh, that's for girls. You're a boy. My mom would say, my mom would say things in a nicer way, being like, oh, no, mijo, like, leave that alone. Like, that's not for you, I feel. I feel like girls have a, are allowed to express more on American TV in terms of like emotions, in terms of like how they feel, how they express themselves. And for me, that was always really cool versus like the super calm, cool, collected, rarely talked guy who always dresses the same on TV. Mm. So there was a scene once where a girl, I think she got money and she put it in her, in her bra. I thought that was so cool for some reason. And so one time my dad gave me money as like, I think I was like three or four. And I put it in like my imaginary bra and he flipped out. He was like, you don't do stuff like that. Girls do that, yada, yada, yada. Mm. And I was just getting a lot of verbal cues from my family that there's a strong line between what it means to be a boy and what it means to be a girl. And what I was drawn to, femininity, was not okay. It was a transgression that was not allowed in the house, was definitely not allowed outside. And it stuck with me for a very long time. So that's kind of how I think I was introduced to masculinity. I was never taught like this is masculinity. It was always like, what you're doing is not masculine. So no. it was kind of like you actually had to perform the action. And then you were either celebrated for it or punished for it. And then you learned from those yeah. reactions, right? Which is really funny because when your question, which is um, your fear of masculinity, it looks like 
saying this all back that my introduction to masculinity came with punishment because I wasn't um, performing it properly. It's almost like when you start a job mm -hmm. and you're learning something new, it's your first time you're bound to make mistakes and there's two approaches to it. You can be nurturing and encouraging, which obviously for me allows me to thrive, but you could also be a really like asshole boss who shits on you, who tells you like, what are you doing? You're making mistakes. It just makes you feel generally awful for making mistakes. Mm -hmm. Over time, that's not the type of environment you want to be at. I've learned in life. And so I feel like my exposure to masculinity usually being experiences of me not measuring up, experiences of me disappointing my family and my loved ones, and just causing general confusion, I think set me up for a life where I almost, I, I kind of disdained being a guy. And mm -hmm. I disdained masculinity as a whole. Well, yeah, because I think that was kind of like a refusal. It's kind of like, oh, this is unfair. How come the girls are allowed to do this? And I'm not, right? I think that might start from from you as a child. Like, how come I'm not allowed to, but girls are allowed to? But did you also receive encouragement when you did something masculine? Or was it always like, oh, here's a step, one point for you for being masculine. Now try harder to be alpha masculine. Where do you think this never enough concept came from? As you're saying that, I'm trying to like rock my brain through experiences where maybe I made my dad proud or my brother proud. That's the other thing too. The other thing is mm -hmm. that my dad was pretty absent in the sense of like, he was working, he'd leave for work at like 7 a.m. and come back like 6 p.m. exhausted. Would go in the back and just like drink and play cards or whatever. And then my brother was 12 years older than me. So as I was growing up, he was like late teens, ready to move out. He had no interest in like hanging out with me. When I was growing up, I was really close to my immediate family, but also my mom's sisters. And all of my younger cousins happened to be girls. I was just around a lot of women growing up. And your question, did I ever do anything that would warrant praise? Mm -hmm. Like looking through experiences, and I don't think I ever did anything <laughs> that was remotely masculine growing up. I just, none of it called to me, none of it. Like when it came to like fighting, I'd have boy cousins that I'd visit every now and then. And we'd be like, oh, let's play cops and robbers. And my mm -hmm. first suggestion was be like, oh my gosh. And I could be like captured and like locked in a dungeon. You have to save me. <laughs> just like, oh my God. <laughs> Princess Peach from like Mario, you know? Just like that. Like I'd always find a way to make it work for me in the sense of like, I wanted to portray a traditional, and I say traditional with like quote unquote, because we'll get to that later, but. I was ascribing to what I saw on TV and what was drawn to me. So I'd try to be really feminine. And so I don't think I did anything growing up that really was masculine. I think the only thing that I did that actually made my dad proud is when I made him laugh. Hmm. And the way that I made him laugh was usually through me acting out something or me using like inflections in my tone or me using voices or me regurgitating something I saw on TV, that's what would make him laugh. But it's funny because later on in seventh grade, I would get bullied for doing that because again, it was seen as gay. It was seen as feminine, like literally just raising the inflection of my voice and being expressive with how I spoke 
was considered feminine growing up. Mm-hmm. And so it was really tough, dude. Like, because to provide some context too, like, so I, I am Mexican. And the reason I bring that up is because machismo is a really strong, pervasive culture that inseats itself in every single dynamic in the house, at school, in the community, in TV, etc. And so even if I wasn't being chided on by my dad growing up in the house, I would go to school and the boys would know that what I was doing was not quote unquote okay for a guy to do. The girls would also notice too. Mm-hmm. I remember my heart would break sometimes. Like the hanging out with the girls would always feel like really sweet and like my safe haven until one day one girl would say something like, Man, why don't you have any guy friends? Go get some guy friends. Mm-hmm. And be like, no, don't say that. <laughs> like, don't say that. <laughs> like it's almost like you guys didn't oh I almost growing up I almost wish I was a girl just to like escape the constant uh, disapproval from everybody. It was just really annoying. It sucked. Um, and it's not until I got an early, older that um, I started feeling more in tune with my femininity. How was it for you? Like, did you feel like growing up there were certain expectations of you? Like, and how did your parent respond? Your parents respond to that? So I was going to ask you this, um, if there was any rebellion in you, because when I was growing up, I come from a Taiwanese household and there's a little bit of a difference between Taiwan and China, especially with new Taiwan, I would say. So new Taiwanese is kind of just like Taiwanese princesses that don't do anything. So my entire life was to be brought up to look pretty and join the Miss Chinese pageant and win and marry some superstar so that was the the only thing and the focus was literally just like try to be pretty um there was an obsession of needing my hair to be long so obviously I cut my hair just to defy my parents and I would wear boys clothes I would wear baggy clothes just to look less feminine just to annoy them and eventually I came to terms with my own version of that but I was always fighting stereotypes since day one I went to school for sexuality studies and gender uh, issues and I think now I'm getting to this place where I really wanted to find equality or at least a common ground among genders but now I'm I'm wondering how much of an illusion masculinity and femininity is because you, you we need a box to compare ourselves to but maybe there isn't anything and yeah, yeah so I feel like when you're set to be in a box, you either follow the box and you feel good ab- about being accepted as you're part of the box, or you get out of the box and you're the, re- the rebel, the outcast, the outsider. And there isn't a place where you can just be. And that's where I'm hoping that we can eventually arrive to. I mean, that's 100% the goal. for mm-hmm. sure. You know, you mentioned a studying gender and sexuality studies. Was your exposure to like gender discourse was that through college or were there any other instances where you started like understanding how gender is kind of fabricated before or did it just when they start in college? So I studied that in college, but unfortunately it was just like chick lit, you know, and it was more women's studies and you had to be a woman to study it. You know, it was really weird. You would never see men in those classrooms. So yeah. I felt like that was really isolating 
in the beginning and all of the feminist lit was the same idea it was like very emotional storytelling and mm-hmm. and yeah it was just like this new space it was kind of like not as socially relevant or i don't think it carried the same weight as some big thought leaders that are male writers obviously so when i grew up and i started working into the hospitality space that's when gender divides were very clear because there's so much sex in like bars and restaurants you know like from the hostess to the bartender to like everything to pleasing the customer and all these different dynamics and that's when i started to see what real sexual aggression is because it was violent you know and it's also in your face and you don't really see yeah. it as much in office dynamics so that's where i really started to see um those behaviors play through and if you're in a group mentality if you're in the same community you start following those trends so i could i noticed myself buying lower cut tops you know wearing lipstick doing all these things because if i'm the one standing out i'm not going to get compensated in the same way and eventually yeah. you, you follow that scarcity model of like i need to fit in or i am going to be kicked out yeah you know you saying that it it reminds me cuz earlier you asked the question too of did i rebel mm-hmm. so growing up i was also jehovah's witness and so <laughs> one of the strongest messages that they preach out to all of us is the meek will inherit the earth and they would talk that about ambition they would discourage um critical thinking <laughs> wow. being honest, they would discourage a bunch of like stuff that's really preached in like american capitalism you know being like the rugged pull yourself up type of deal they would mm. be real they'd be all about community they'd be all about keeping your head down praying to god not even participating intentionally in your job outside of the church mm-hmm. they tell you like this abstain from the real world and stuff like that and so as the youngest child and my mom's favorite i learned very quickly that if i wanted to be praised i ought to listen to my mom she'd always tell me like oh you're such a sweet boy you're so smart you do this and so the way that i got praised is by staying within the box mm-hmm. so my first instances were me being uh feminine and that was hard was very shame and when i started excelling in school and performing almost as like a a quote unquote gifted child that's when i started getting a lot of praise um from my parents and from my community from my teachers etc so i was like okay this works for me and it wasn't until i believe fourth grade i was waiting in line and these two boys came up to me and they're like hey, are you this which is just like a straight, a straight line, line pointing up or <laughs> okay. are you this or are you this like it's a swimming like my hand curve moving, <laughs> like a like a swimming curve yeah um, they asked me that and i was like oh like well the squid the squiggly thing seems pretty cool like i'm that and immediately they were like ew gross yeah. and obviously as a kid you can realize like, the choice i made was the wrong one mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I was like, oh no, like I'm not that. I'm the straight one, you know? And then I was like, what does that even mean? And he's like, the thing you means you're gay. And I was like, oh, what does gay mean? Um, and they're like, it means that you like boys. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not that. I am not that. <laughs> I like said it so quick and I backtracked because again, quickly, like whatever semblance of control or safety I felt in my academics, 
it was quickly swept away when I um, was introduced to the concept of gay. And it was funny too, because I talked about machismo earlier on, right? About being in the Latino community. When this happened to me, we had actually moved from a predominantly Latino community to a predominantly white community. And so even though, you know, I was no longer around machismo, I was still being chided for my perceived femininity, um, even in white spaces. And so that's kind of when I learned, like, damn, girl, like, nowhere is safe. <laughs> I yeah. can't go anywhere. I can't go anywhere without people just immediately noticing that I am not acting like what a guy is supposed to. But my first exposure to, like, gender's discourse and understanding that gender is more of a construct, et cetera, was through Tumblr. It was, like, I think TikTok back in, like, 2013. It was, like, the website that all the kids were using at the time. Mm-hmm. And people would post about anything that they wanted. And that was my first exposure to, like, to gender discourse, talking about race, talking about everything like that. And at the same time, too, I think for me, the moment I realized I had to, quote, unquote, rebel happened in high school. So up until that point, I kind of just, like, I tried my best to conform. I was bullied a little bit in seventh grade, and that caused me to move schools. But I still was kind of just being myself, just trying to figure things out. But everything changed for me when my parents found out that I was gay when I was a freshman in high school. It was the day after my birthday. And my mom <laughs> came into my room and she was like, what are you doing? I was like, nothing. And she was like, she was like what kind of 13-year-old just sits on their computer looking at their desktop monitor at 11 o'clock? Like, get your ass up. Oh my she God. looked at my history. What um, was your history? Like, just gay men on your computer? <laughs> Yeah, it was okay. like gay porn. It was gay okay. porn. Yeah. And this is this is kind of like where I think everything kind of hit a boiling point for me because again, up to that point, I was kind of shitted on in school. I was shitted on with friends. I was shitted on with my family for being feminine. And even with excelling in school, it wouldn't go very far in terms of getting me like some form of safety or some form of like approval from people. Mm-hmm. But the one place I could always go to for approval, regardless of anything, was my mom. Mm-hmm. My mom always told me, you are such a sweet boy. You are not like anyone else. Like, I love you so much. You're so kind. You're so nurturing, yada, yada, yada. I used to play with my mom's hair, like, all the time. Like, that. we just had a very close bond. But the moment she saw my, my um, search history on the computer, there was an immediate drop in affection from my mom immediate drop Mm -hmm. and looking back at it I think what had happened was all the moments of me acting feminine growing up she was pushing aside she was almost ignoring it saying like it's just a him thing you know it's just him it doesn't mean anything else and to her I think those little moments of me breaking the gender code were small enough that she could just brush them aside but when she saw you know like my church history to her it was like oh no I let things slide for too long. This like is it's too serious. late. It's yeah, it's, it's too mm-hmm. late. I lost my son to something that was worse than being feminine. It was being gay. <laughs> so wow. Once, okay. once like she dropped me, I, when I say dropped me, I mean she still let me stay in the house. But when you're growing up as the youngest boy in a machismo household, like you are seen as the, the king of the house, Loki. They treat you so incredibly well. And it was gone overnight. It really fucks you up. You know, it's like, wow, 
my whole existence has brought nothing but shame for everyone around me. Mm-hmm. And so to your question, did I rebel? No. My, I had such a strong scarcity mindset in my head. I was like, people don't like me for being gay. People don't like me for being feminine. And the thing is, at this time, I, I conflated femininity and gay as the same thing. So at this point, for me, I wasn't even thinking in terms of femininity. I was thinking in terms of being gay. I was like, being gay is not okay. I use the terms interchangeably. I was like, being gay is not okay. And so I ended up conforming even more at this point. I started telling myself, well, if me being myself pushed people away, then I have to be someone else completely. Mm-hmm. And so I started like intentionally lowering my voice. I would see gay people being portrayed on TV and they'd be really like flamboyant, very feminine, very expressive, hang out with girls. And I would see myself so strongly in there that I'd start feeling repulsed by it. I'd be like, that's not me. That is absolutely not me. And so I started acting as straight as I could, which like, I tried. (laughs) (laughs) I tried. I tried my best, but it was working. You're talking also earlier about like, was I rewarded at some point? That's when I started getting rewarded. Mm -hmm. When I started coming out to people, whether they were Latino, whether they were white, whether they were girls, so many people would tell me things like, I mean, I had an idea, but like, you know, it's whatever. You know, I get my first kind of like, oh, it's whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, this is good. But for me, the moments that really stuck with me were when I came out to like Latino masculine men or even like, white men who were pretty homophobic in like common areas and stuff they would tell me oh okay honestly dude like you're pretty cool like you're not like other gays like I hate it would mm. they would take this opportunity to tell me how much they fucking hated dumb boy and gay they would just brag on me be like oh that's so nasty it's gross oh it's so gross but you're different dude you're like you're different you're different you're like you're cool you like you don't act like them which to me, I was like, okay, I guess I can be gay as long as I don't act super gay. Wow. And so that's kind of how, again, like my, my exposure to masculinity was just not <laughs> a pleasant experience. And so I hated it. I was never like aggressive as a kid. Again, I was Jehovah's Witness. I never had guns as a as a growing up. I never had swords, never did stuff like that because my mom didn't want me to be surrounded by it. I loved 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 selena who was like a latina um singer at the Mm -hmm. time when i was growing up i loved her i idolized her and i had to push all that away i pushed it all away and so and like your experience it wasn't until i had moved for college that things really took a big change for me and that all came with drag drag was (laughs) revolutionary to me that's kind of when i started to learn yeah it was insane for me. I guess I'd love to hear your story when you finally found other people like you that accepted you, right? Because right now you're trying to conform with people that aren't like you and you're trying to minimize your difference for their sake, for their comfort, right? So yeah. was it in college it when you life. finally found your own? Yeah, I would say in college. So like in high school, I ended up meeting two girls that became really strong influences on me. We became best friends. And one girl in particular, she kind of really kickstarted off my whole idea that things don't appear 
as they seem, these rules that I imagine aren't as strong and as serious as I think they are. This isn't related to femininity, but it just goes to show how much still blew my mind in terms of like my confidence of what I'm able to do. Mm-hmm. So growing up, I had really dark skin. And again, in Latino culture, racism is a thing, colorism is a thing. And not only was I shitted on for being feminine, I was also shitted on for being darker skin. So my confidence was shot. I did not love myself in any instance or form. And this girl, one day we were walking to class and she was looking at me and she was like, damn, I freaking am so jealous of your skin. <laughs> and I was like, why? <laughs> I was like, I could not imagine. She had very fair skin by the way I was like why she was like because like your dark skin hides your pimples <laughs> you, can't even, you can't even notice them and like it was sort of a backhanded compliment low-key because she yeah. had like, a bunch of pimples but when she said that that was the first time ever in my life that someone complimented my skin color for any reason someone had mm-hmm. ever found anything positive with my skin color the first ever time and when I came out to her you know, she told me, like, she was incredibly encouraging to me. She told me things like, oh, that's awesome, cool, you know. We talk about girl groups, and she would 100% let me talk about girl groups. Up until this point, all my friends, one of my friends before this, when I told her I was gay, every time I'd leave, she'd be like, don't be gay, don't be gay. <laughs> she'd say that jokingly. Yeah, <laughs> she told me that jokingly, but I, I really internalized it. But then this friend, she would tell me things like, oh, God, I love it when you do this. Like, she would praise the little mm-hmm. things about myself that were gay as fuck, mm-hmm. you know? She would compliment me, and that's when I realized, like, oh, wow, like, this person's very encouraging. This person is nurturing. And if I bring back to that whole instance of, like, my exposure to masculinity being all about, like, punishment and disapproval, she would notice those little inkling embers of femininity, and she would encourage the fuck out of it. She'd praise it. She'd find little moments and she'd be like, I love it when you do stuff like this. She's my age too. Like she's incredible, by the way. She won <laughs> one in a million. She won one in a million in our school superlative stuff. She's incredible. But that was my first inkling of like supportive people. But even then, you know, she was going to, she was also gay. I eventually found out. And so when we both came out, we both were struggling with like how to do so with our families and everything. But like I said, in college is when things really changed for me. In college, people did not care about me. No one cared. No one knew who I was. And I wasn't a community college. It wasn't even like I was far from home. I was like, wow, people truly do not give a shit about who I am, what I'm doing. I'd see people out here and they were gayer than me. Like, gay as fun. And they were out here killing it. They were out here having friends. And I was like, wow, people really don't care. And that's when I decided to join the Gay Straight Alliance, GSA, in college. And I met really cool gay people there who not only were really feminine, but they're also hot. <laughs> so I was like, okay, wow. Like gay people nice. are honestly dope. And one day someone asked me like, oh, have you watched Drag Race? And I was like, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's like a show on Logo TV, which is like a gay network. And I was like, oh, I don't have that channel. I've never seen it. They're like, oh, it's a really good show. You should watch it. So I started off watching season seven of Drag Race. And I say season seven because season seven is a terrible season. It's not <laughs> good. It is an awful season. I remember watching and me being bored. When I would see the, the drag queens come in, my first thing I would do is I would hate on them. and be like, oh, that one's super gay. I hate them. Oh, mm-hmm. I hate them. 
And then there'd be ones who like obviously are gay, but they'd be more calm and reserved. And they'd also be attractive, traditionally attractive in my head. And AKA they look like guys and they dress like guys. And then mm-hmm. when they would be in drag, they'd be extraordinarily super feminine, super beautiful drag queens. And I'd be like, oh, I love that. I love that. And so as I was watching the show, I'd be like, oh, this is kind of whatever. I wasn't that into it. I'd hate on a lot of the contestants, but I'd like a few. And then I remember one day I watched the season fin- the season finale and they had all the queens come out and they have like, it's like a big grand entrance. They all come out one by one. They walk on a big runway. They wear a really extravagant outfit. And one by one, as every single queen came out, I started crying. Really? Even for the ones that I hated. I started crying because they were being cheered. They were in a theater. They were guys dressed up as girls. They were wearing makeup. They were wearing dresses. And they were being giving a standing ovation in this theater in L.A. on a TV. And with the music playing, it was a RuPaul song called Born Naked. Mm-hmm. And it's the whole song's about, like, you're born naked and the rest is drag, which is, like, his whole message of every day is a performance. When you put on a suit and you go into work to be professional, that is drag. That's a performance. When you go act a certain way with your cousins, but you act differently with your friends. But those are different forms of drag that you're putting on. Mm-hmm. And so with this song playing in the background, these queens coming out and just looking incredible, like, I was just swelled with emotion. I started crying. I was like, oh, my wow. God, I really like this show. I really fucking love this show. Mm-hmm. And again, that's as I started watching that show more and more, slowly, I was exposed to so many different narratives. So every single person, there was like 13 queens each season. And each season, it was a different queen from a different background talking about their experiences, being funny, being celebrated, being weird, being kooky, being whatever the hell, being all the things that I was shamed for growing up. And they're being praised for it. How would you define drag culture and the allure of drag? Because I've spoken to a couple straight guys on the show. And this is, I don't know if you agree or not, it, you know, out of participation, they might attend a drag show and dress up for it. And then just feel so displaced and uncomfortable because this is the first time that they're on show. And it's kind of like, well, you're always performing, but yeah. you're performing these you know, in the box masculine traits that you've just been indoctrinated your entire life. This is something that you're doing out of participation for a different community. So I guess this is maybe the first time that they get the exposure to be something that doesn't fit their bill, right? Because they're the ones now performing out of the box, whereas everyone out of the box had to perform in the box. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that dynamic really interesting to hear their their discomfort and an unclarity of whether or not they're doing the right thing because they want to support, but then they feel weird and then they feel like they're putting on a show that isn't genuine. You know, I, I, I wonder who was putting them in drag. That's my first question because I think mm. the idea of drag, it varies a lot depending okay. on age, depending on where you come from. I, I would say the most common idea of drag is it's a guy putting on women's clothes and makeup for performance. That's what I think the standard definition of drag is. Um, and so I think for those straight guys who participated, I think there was no one there to dispel the myth that that is what drag is. And so with them putting on makeup and them putting on all that stuff, I think that, that was their only idea of what drag could be. 
And so it was incredibly uncomfortable for them. It was the complete opposite mm. of what they've been doing their whole lives. And so exactly. naturally they probably felt really uncomfortable. And so that for me, when I first started watching drag, that was my same thought too, right? I really liked the ones who were extremely, the word is fishy. If you're serving fish, that means you look, you're unclockable, you look like a girl. Like that's what, like that's the ideal for a long time. And a lot of the queens would say things like that. They'd be like, oh, I'm the fishiest. Like Maury, that's a man. Like they would love mm. to clock people for not being passing. Okay. Um, but as I watched the show more and more, and what made the show become the cultural phenomenon that it is now, like this show has multiple Emmys. All the queens are now millionaires. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they're reality stars now. It's, it's an incredible phenomenon. What made the show different was season four. Season four, episode one, the theme was Rupocalypse. So the theme was like the girls had to rummage through a bunch of trash and make an apocalyptic outfit. And so all the queens tried to be like, I'm the queen of the apocalypse. You know, that was their whole thing. But one queen, Sharon Needle, she looked like Nosferatu. She like had a bald <laughs> head. She had like a latex uh, outfit on, almost mummy-like. Mm-hmm. And as she was walking down the runway, she chewed on a blood capsule and blood just started spewing out of her mouth onto her garment. And that was not feminine at all. I love it. <laughs> it, was, it was like alien. It was still feminine. It was still sexy, but it was also like disturbing. But it was captivating. She won that challenge. She went on to win the season by doing her kooky drag. And from that point forward, there was a whole like debate within drag race of what is the superior form of drag mm. there really is no superior form of drag there is none but that's what like the seasons were kind of leading up to and slowly but surely we started realizing that the kooky queens who pushed the box of what drag could be were the ones who succeeded and the ones who were most loved by the fans and the ones who ultimately would go on to win the show i remember season six one of the queens they were supposed to do rupaul it was a thousand nights of rupaul so everyone dressed up like an iconic rupaul outfit mm-hmm. and every single episode rupaul comes in to the workroom and he says hello 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 and he's wearing like a suit from epstein and parker whatever he always says that he wears a suit he's wearing like polka dot stuff and everything like that one of the queens came out dressed as him she had a bald cap on like was wearing a suit and stuff mm-hmm. and the judges were mad they were like why are you dressed up as a guy and he was like, it's drag. It's drag. Mm. And I remember watching that and I was like, she's fucking right. <laughs> that is drag. That's RuPaul's drag. And there would be whole arguments about like, if you could even do men as like a, there's a really iconic episode at each season called Snatch Game. We're supposed to impersonate a celebrity and like respond to questions and be funny and witty or whatever. And a few seasons, some people, some queens would be male characters. And all the contestants would be like, what a mistake. That's such a risk. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I think usually those guy characters always win. They always win that episode because we start to realize that even these guy characters are doing drag. They are such characters. They're putting on a performance. And so slowly and surely, like as I watch the show and as I watch the show progress, my idea of what drag could be was changing. And at the same time, I started participating in drag myself. So mm-hmm. I started doing drag. And the first day I put myself in makeup, I looked a super big hot mess. I did not look good. <laughs> but I started watching YouTube tutorials. And the learning curve for me was 
pretty quick. Like I think by like my sixth time in drag, I looked pretty good in drag um, in terms of like a feminine presenting type queen. And I started going to the thrift stores. I started buying myself stuff and I'd start like making outfits and everything. And I, I lived for it, Amanda. <laughs> I, I loved it so fucking much. It just felt right. And I was also living with my friend that I mentioned before, the really amazing friend. We had moved to Long Beach together for our second, the last two years of college. And when I was there, like, I just really delved into it. And she was incredibly supportive. My roommates were supportive. And so I was putting myself in drag and I participated in my first ever drag show. I like did a Selena number. Mm-hmm. I got myself like a white bra from Target and like some white booty shorts. I padded myself. I got myself a wig and I did my makeup. And when everyone saw me, they were like, holy shit, bro, you look so good. <laughs> and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it so much. I, was, I, I did perform to Ariana Grande. It was incredible. And I remember there was a video of me where I was just like, this is the best day of my life. Mm. This is the best day of my life. Like, I was out here transgressing. This is the biggest, if being gay is one thing, right? If you're gay, but you're not that gay, it's all right. But if you're gay and you're dressing up as a woman and going out in public and going on a stage and performing for a bunch of strangers, that's like the ultimate transgression you'll be. Mm. And so for me to do that and me to be praised, it was eye-opening for me. It was incredible. And keep in mind, too, at this point, I was no longer living at home with my family. Yeah. No longer living at home with my family. So there was no one holding me back. Yeah, that's kind of how drag shifted things for me. Interesting how it began as drag was celebrated or only conceived of as passing as female, right? And then it kind of graduated into something else where it's just the performance itself you know, and you kind of dissolve the idea of like this versus that in a gender normative state, right? And Mm -hmm. becoming your own version of that. So how do you see the future? Like, do you think it still matters to pass as male or female? Like, is there still that need for approval for other people to label you? Or, you know, can, can there be more space now where it is kind of just like unclear? And maybe that is part of part of the, the performance um 100 you do not need to be passing at mm-hmm. all yeah no that whole idea of mine was squashed a very long time ago so the big change for me happened when school got really busy my last year it was my senior year i was writing like a big essay and stuff <clears throat> and so i didn't have time to get in drag as much and at the time i also started noticing that i was growing facial hair and I decided to let it grow during November and it grew and I loved my mustache. I loved it. Mm-hmm. it. It reminded me of my dad. And the fact that I could look like my dad while also being me was really cool. And so I stopped doing that. I stopped doing that. And then one day, as slowly, I just started taking stuff from my thrifted wardrobe of Sochi. Sochi was my drag character. I started pulling from Sochi's closet and I started wearing stuff throughout the day. Like I remember one day I wore a beret to class. Mm-hmm. And my friends were like, ooh, okay, come through, you know, like, you're looking cute. And I was like, okay, like, this is nice. So I, I started just blinking from that closet. And then one day I did my drag while wearing my mustache. And I fucking loved it. I loved it so much. And I looked good. I looked mm-hmm. so fucking good. I looked like, I looked like beautiful Waluigi. I <laughs> <laughs> love it, yeah. <laughs> it looked like beautiful Waluigi. And... I think uh, 
I ended up going to DragCon one year. DragCon is like the big convention for Pulse Drag Race. And so I wore this really big blazer. I wore this really big like Dolly Parton, like blonde wig. And I had my mustache on. And everywhere I went, people were like, can I take a picture with you? Oh my God, you look so fierce. This is fucking it. Like, yes, 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 yes. I felt like a celebrity walking through fucking DragCon. I even took some photos. Anastasia Beverly Hills had this like free photo shoot thing going on. Mm -hmm. I took some pictures. It was powerful. Oh, the pictures looked powerful. I was like, wow, this is incredible. I loved it. And that's when I, when I did some reflections, I realized that for me, initially, drag became a vehicle for me to explore femininity in a temporary way. I would put on as much feminine stuff as possible. I'd look like a girl. And then at the end of the night, I would take it off and it'd be gone. It was almost like it never happened. And I would almost get my fill of femininity and then let it go. But then once things got busy and I started pulling things slowly and blurring the lines between Sochi and me, I realized that I don't need to do that. I can just be feminine whenever I want. I can have a mustache whenever I want. I can do this stuff whenever I want. And when I realized that, coupled with what I was seeing on the show and seeing how that was also being praised, I was realizing slowly and surely, like, yeah, gender is not real. It is so not fucking real. And the thing is, the more I did that, the more confidence I built in myself. And with that renewed confidence, I was showing up as myself better when I'd be with my family. I was showing up better when it came to hanging out with like my friends. And because I was showing up as myself and because I was confident, I was able to withstand their judgment and push past it. And by pushing past it, they started to see that me breaking these rules were not as earth shattering as they thought it was going to be. And that's when like things started really shifting. And so mm-hmm. just go back to your whole question or even go back to that, the instance of those straight guys who participated in drag. Mm-hmm. I think what happened was someone wasn't there to dispel the myth of what drag is. Because the thing is they could have done like rock and roll drag if they really wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, they could have done something else. And so now I have helped a few queens get into drag for the first time. And I see it too. Like they'll make some like low-key homophobic comments, being like, "Huh, that girl's not even passing." I used to be an educator for a long time. I don't believe in punishing people. I say things like, "I see where you're coming from," but I personally love it. I think it's fucking dope. Yeah. And slowly but surely, slowly but surely, their opinions start to change, and they start to really admire these things too. And so their ideas of what drag can be has start to change. It's crazy. Like this season for the UK version of the show, they have a drag queen named Bat Charity Case. Their name's Charity Case. Their entrance look is, do you know who Spyro is? He's like a purple dragon from a video game. No. <laughs> they literally are a, a dragon. Wow. They're an actual dragon just encrusted in jewels. That is what drag is now. It's no longer even being a human. It's just being glamorous. We This season, they also have their first ever cisgender woman drag queen on the show first ever and there's a whole debate people are upset they're like oh drag is only for guys for gay guys yada, yada, yada. but all the queens on RuPaul's Drag Race have come in her defense and said if you do not like this queen you have not been in the drag show in ages because you will see there are so many trans women yeah. performers everything like that like drag is completely shifted now it's completely different 
And I think what's cool is these drag queens have become influencers, especially on TikTok. And the thing is, there's so many young people on TikTok. And so they see all these people who are saying, fuck you to all these gender norms, like this really strong line, and they're blurring it. And you'll see some people saying things like, why am I attracted to this girl? Like, she looks so hot. Like, I'm straight, <laughs> but why am I so attracted to this girl? Because she looks like a guy, but she's a girl. And then as a guy, I'll say things like, wow, this guy is so feminine. And I say I'm gay, right? Like, I like guys, but I'm like, they have long hair and they're wearing makeup and I think they're so beautiful. I'm like, what the hell? Like, it's changing. It is changing and it's incredible. And that's why now, like, I think ultimately to answer your question, like, how am I navigating masculinity now? It's, I'm trying to just slowly release it back into my life in an encouraging way and mm-hmm. redefining what masculinity means now. Obviously, those rules were written by some other people, and I don't like them. I've learned to break rules, and I've learned that breaking rules brings only love and positivity into my life and brings the right people into my life. And so I'm just kind of going with that. You know, I'm allowing, I'm allowing femininity to be present in my life. I'm mm-hmm. allowing masculinity to be present in my life. And I'm just mixing the two. Yeah, I love that it's not temporary or performative anymore. I think when you were talking about being a kid and you would want to just be around all the girls and do what the girls get to do. And then they'd be like, oh, go back to being a boy, go get some boyfriends, you know? And you kept flip-flopping between being one and being the other. And now it's it's like owning both, right? And, and finding where that space is, because I think you're right. I think when we get rejected from acceptance into a space, you try harder to be accepted in the opposite space, hoping that that's going to be, give you better results. And then you get rejected in a different way, right? Because you're just not of the other side. And then you, you have this like feeling of displacement. How would you help others gain the courage to do so? Because I think that's the last point, you know, that's the like falling down point, you know, and it's funny that this is the first time that a cis woman is, um, is going into drag. Like, I think, you know, now I've been uh, a bad feminist, you know, for having men on a show, you know, I've, I'm a bad woman, a cis woman, because I don't um, believe in, in gender roles. Um, I'm not attracted to alpha males in the same sense, you know, most of my relationships are with trans people, you know, like, I'm, I'm borderline asexual now, you know, and it's confusing to a lot of people, because this is my point of surrendering that, like, there is no gender anymore. But yeah. I think this is the, the the scariest point because like you said, like everything, like the the earth underneath you is now shattering and you're like, oh my God, I don't know what the world is. It's scary, but I feel like my solution has always just been to not do what my parents did growing up, which was shaming. Mm. My solution is to leave with empathy. Here's the thing too. I studied sociology in college and I took women's gender sexuality studies as well and there were many times where we would have discussions or someone would ask a question and people would respond very aggressively in the sense of like we can't do that because of blank 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 and blank and blank and yada 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 and they would just shit on this person for even asking this question they would shit on the person so hard 
Mm-hmm. And I would see they would shut down. And you know what? If I asked someone a question and they asked me and they responded to me like that, I'd be like, Americans would be hurt. <laughs> I'd be yeah. hurt. And it would, I'd feel like shit. And even like that friend I mentioned, the really incredible friend I mentioned, we had a roommate once who I think Loki was into me. He was straight. I think he was Loki into me. And, you know, I, I just kind of let it things happen. And one day my friend confronted him and was like, you're gay, right? And he was like, wow. no. Like, no. And she was like, I mean, you're pretty feminine. Like, she was just laying it out in front of him. And I was like, girl, <laughs> like, you got to understand, like, he has probably never heard something like that before. You can't mm-hmm. expect for someone to live life in this patriarchal society for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and just expect them to just, with one comment or one lesson, immediately be like, you're right. You know, you can't yeah. that. it's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. And I think people hold that expectation, even though their experience to understanding that has probably been not a linear path. It's probably been up and down because mine was like that for sure. As you can tell from my story, mm-hmm. it took me a very long time to get to this point. And so for me, I try to lead very strongly with empathy. Mm-hmm. If someone makes a comment that I think is homophobic or someone makes a comment that I think is misogynistic, you know, I'll say something like, you know, when I was growing up, I thought like that too. And I'll share an experience of mine. Because in that way, I'm not disagreeing with them. I'm agreeing with where they're coming from. I say, oh yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. And I'll share my experience. I'm no longer just someone trying to attack. I'm just sharing my experience. And then with that, they usually lower their guard down. And then slowly over time, I'll start to say things that I think dispel the idea of gender, that dispel the ideas of race or whatever the heck. And because I'm being so non-confrontational, they're more receptive to hearing it. And then slowly over time, they open up to it. That's a big reason why, even though I come from a Latino household, so much of my family is incredibly accepting now. So, mm-hmm. so incredibly accepting because I've taken time. My mom, I told you earlier, my mom, she completely dropped me when I first came out. And that was heartbreaking. But years later now, she is my biggest supporter. And a lot of the narratives I see on TV, when it comes to gay people coming out, it's usually like, fuck my family. Fuck my family. Like, they suck. I never want to see them. Yada, yada, yada. And they don't. And then they go to a chosen family. Yeah. But for me, as a Latino, family is one of our biggest um, values and so for me to let go of my family would also mean to let go of my culture Um, and so I couldn't do that and I had to lead with empathy with my mom and there'd be I remember the first few years we couldn't talk about it without her crying but I kept showing up I kept being patient with my mom the same way that my friends were patient with me the same way people were patient with me, the same way drag was patient with me. And slowly but surely, she became my biggest defender, my biggest supporter. And that's kind of like the route I take. I have my niece and nephew now, mm-hmm. and my brother and my sister-in-law love me hanging out with them because I'll just tell things. And you'll find ways in which gender and expectations are present everywhere. My niece, she's a girl and she loves Sonic. I call him Sonic. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, Sonic. And she'll be like, is it Sonic? But um, 
she'll tell me things like, I don't like this because Sonic doesn't like this. And I was like, okay, but like, you're not Sonic. You're Alyssa who also likes Sonic. You can like things that Sonic likes. You can also like things that you like. It's okay. You know, just telling stuff like that from the very beginning. And it really does resonate with her. It sticks with her to let her know that like, you don't have to be one thing. You can be multiple things. You can embrace contradiction mm-hmm. and still be you and still thrive. She'll say things to me all the time. When, you, when she first was growing up, she would tell me things like, so are you a boy or are you a girl? And she'd ask even like her, her mom. She was just really confused by it initially. And that's what everyone who's like homophobic hears. They're like, oh, how am I going to explain this to you kids? I don't think they're giving kids enough credit. Kids will catch on pretty quick. And so now Alyssa will say, say things like, Theo, you're so handsome, but you're also so pretty. And I love that. And I'm like, oh, thanks, girl. I appreciate yeah. that. You know? It's just leading with empathy, I think, is the answer. And it's slow. It's slow. It takes a while. But I found that the opposite usually doesn't work. You just push people away, which I don't think you want that to happen. Mm-hmm. You got to be nurturing. So that's kind of mm-hmm. how I've been embracing it. And it seems like from, like, you know, our talk on the show, but then also what we talked before, it seems like, you're taking a different approach too to talking about feminism and stuff. Is that correct? Or... Yeah. And feminist groups were just a bunch of angry women that found each other and stayed in their narrow-mindedness. And our commonality was our trauma. And I was like, that means to enter the club, you have to have some shit happen. I don't want to be a part of the club and encourage people to go through shit and abuse so they can enter this club and say that they're allowed to talk about these topics, you know? So that was the, the kind of like violent danger that I had with feminism studies and how much it actually encouraged patriarchy and um, going through the space of coming down with my ego, I guess, and speaking to men from all different varieties of where they're coming from to see like, what is the real human issue? You know, it's it's about rejection. It's about wanting that acceptance, you know, it's all of these childhood desires. But I think what's really been, I guess the most uncomfortable thing lately is wanting to understand a new perspective, but you're afraid of sounding inappropriate or using the wrong terminology or vocabulary, all of this kind of stuff, because we see other people coming out and speaking out and others are scared of saying things inappropriately for fear of being shamed or, or whatever, because they know they were the ones that used to shame others for not following the script. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious into what you would say to straight men, you know, because I think we began this conversation on improving our relationships with straight men and Mm -hmm. A lot of straight men ask me, how do you approach these um, masked men? You know, would you accidentally approach a woman? And I was like, 100%, totally. <laughs> of course it's happened. I don't know. That doesn't mean that I would be, I would receive anger or like, you know, a bad response. Usually they're just like, I love what you're doing, but I don't associate myself as a man. So I would politely, you know, decline this interview, but actually I have someone else that is passing as men or views themselves as masculine that would actually um, be more appropriate for your show. So I've never taken offense for asking questions, but I feel like a lot of cis people w- are afraid. 
So what would you say? Like, how would you encourage people that are in the box to, to ask the questions and, and understand things more? Because otherwise, if you live in fear, you are going to, you know, act out in aggression. And that's, you know, the thing that we're all afraid of. You know what I think the answer is? I think the answer is representation. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if we look back on my story, the examples of femininity that I displayed were from stuff that I saw on TV. Mm-hmm. And even growing up, the stuff that I saw, like, it's all pretty, like, contrived femininity, you know? Like, legally blonde, um, uh, 13 going on 30, mean girls, those are all, like, contrived ideas of femininity. It's, it all fits in one box in, the, in that sense, where it's girls have to love pink, girls have to be extremely bubbly, girls have to be this, you know, it's a very small box. But as time has gone on, we're obviously seeing that femininity can be way more things than just that, mm-hmm. right? And the same thing with masculinity, like before, masculinity is presented as one certain way. There was this TikTok I saw where this guy was complaining about how he's ripped, he is going to the gym, he has a nice car, and girls are not hitting him up. He's like, how the what <laughs> everything right what is going on he doesn't sound like that but you know he's like upset and <laughs> some girl ditched the video and she was like i don't think guys understand that they are actually performing for other men mm-hmm. they are performing for other men they're dressing up and behaving in a way that they see on tv but you have to understand who wrote that <laughs> who wrote those tv shows mm-hmm. who wrote those ads it was guys. Guys wrote it because that's what they think girls want. They think they want a guy who's like super ripped and has like washboard ads and who has a nice Ferrari and stuff like that. But girls don't really want that. That's what the TikTok was saying. But I want to agree. She was saying like girls want a guy who's emotionally available. Mm-hmm. <laughs> girls want a guy who's nurturing and supportive. She made a joke. She's like, I want my guy to look malnourished and like brooding and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> And I started laughing because I was like, oh, that's my type. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but when she said that, it had, I think, almost like 4 million views and like over a million likes and all these girls in the comments being like, yup, 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 yup. And exactly. people, people, girls were commenting and saying, like, can we forward this to the guy so they realize like they don't have to ascribe to this idea. And what's funny is a couple weeks later, I saw a TikTok there was an excerpt from a podcast and it was a bunch of straight guys and they were having the exact same discussion saying, I think like we're realizing that what we see on TV isn't what we need to be, you know? We can just be ourselves and I think girls like that's what girls want. And people, girls in the comments were like, this is the most healthy discussion I've ever seen happen with two guys ever in my life. It was incredible, but I think that's so cool is that like, that's all representation. It, it only took one person to make that Stitch video for it to reach millions of people and to be shared however many times. And very quickly, soon enough, men were having those discussions too. And so I would say it has to do with representation. You know, like if you're navigating this stuff, right, Amanda, like if you're navigating uh, feminism as a Taiwanese Canadian, I'm sure people would really resonate with that perspective and they'd resonate with your idea of 
it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to navigate this stuff, right? But seeing you do it, I think gives people permission to do it too. You know, mm-hmm. me, like with my, with the stuff that I post, I let people know that I'm Mexican and that I'm queer on purpose because I don't think I've ever seen a Mexican queer person talking about mental health or talking about femininity ever on TV, ever. Yeah. <laughs> so since I'm doing it now, I have people comment me and tell me things like, God, I'm so happy I ended up on this side of TikTok. Like, this is so cool. Thank you so much for sharing this stuff. Like, they'll resonate with my experience because they don't see it, you know? It's almost like when you share these experiences and you lead with empathy and you allow yourself the opportunity to make mistakes and to stumble, it gives people the permission to do the same thing too. And I would think that maybe if we have more straight guys talk about being feminine, talk about their struggles, talk about their emotions, and they're supported for it and lauded for it, I think it would give men permission to do the same thing too. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Yeah, I hope morning. I hope we get there. Um, yeah, because I I hate to say this, but like, there's so many straight women out there that still project that you know the alpha male is the most attractive, is the most desired. You know, and yeah. when I speak to a lot of men on the show, and they get vulnerable with me, they'll 100% say like they'll never tell their wife about this, never tell a girl. About you know, unmasked about this because they've been wearing the mask for so long. You know, I think it like the older you get, you know, the more worn in that mask is to take off. Totally. It like it seeps into your skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Together. Yeah. Crazy. I think that's why it takes so much courage to do so. Right. And, and we need as much representation as ever. And what has been the best is actually seeing a lot of Gen Z, like the younger generation really coming out with their authenticity because the conversations are completely different than like a 40 year old. One of my favorite things to say is the comment of like, oh, you guys are sensitive. You guys are snowflakes. Every time someone <laughs> says that, every time someone says that, I always like, giggle to myself. I'm like, Think of the Karate Kid. I'll use the most stereotypical, like, like straight guy movie, like guys like I guess, <laughs> the Karate Kid. There's that scene where the the bully keeps um, bullying him, right? And under the snowflake model, fuck it up. You're so sensitive. That kid being bullied would just take it and not say anything. Yeah. But the point of climax, the point of triumph, is when the kid stands up for himself and says, "Stop it." When I think of the whole snowflake thing, um, I think to myself, like, if someone's constantly disrespecting you and you stand up for yourself, that's brave. <laughs> that's not mm-hmm. snowflake at all. That's, it, you're, you're basically telling that person to fucking stop and you're causing a scene almost and telling that person to stop. That's brave. That's like true strength. That isn't being sensitive. That's just having self-respect. Yes, exactly. Uh, I forget why I mentioned this thing. It, it was going to relate to something, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> that that reminds me of like every instance at a bar with a guy that doesn't know how to listen to no, you know, and it's like, ev- and it's just like nonstop over and over, like just trying different moves or like not getting the point. And I make a scene 100%. And it's like, 
I'm, I'm not going to feel bad about making a scene. What sucks is if that guy goes home and it's like, oh, that was an anomaly, you know, like I wish that would change his behavior, but there wasn't enough of a punishment because it was just me. I wish that the rest of the kind of cis male community shamed him on top of it, but yeah. they protect each other. So that's the only thing that I would say, like, I wish could change. That's the thing that sucks, man. It's like that. They're really tight knit. Yeah. <laughs> really knit. It's incredibly tight knit. And it's like, oh, it grosses me out. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. I, yeah. I, I, I say gross out loosely. I just mean it more like, it just, it, it infuriates me sometimes. I'm like, let, like all those people, they're not even serving you, yo. Like, come on, come over here. It's way nicer. I promise. <laughs> promise yeah. nicer. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you one last question before we wrap up. Is there anything that jumped out at you today that you would like to invite another man to elaborate on in another episode on the show? I love it if uh, the next guest, if they're straight, if they're straight male, if they could talk about a time in which they went against what was expected of them from like a group of guy friends mm. and how did it go yeah i'd love to know whether mm-hmm. it, it can be as small as possible but even just seeing like what 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 are the rules that operate within that group i'd love to know i'd love to see how they navigate it mm-hmm. and if they've ever done so successfully <laughs> like, yeah are you, are you alive to tell the tale <laughs> <laughs> i think the best example that i've seen of that or heard of at all <laughs> is when a, a straight man goes into sobriety and leaves mm. that borough culture um, because there's the shame of like, oh, you think you're better than us kind of thing. And I, really? I, I love it that that's the immediate response rather than like, oh, go and be healthy. It's like, oh, you're better than us. And, and you get this like attack rather than support because you're choosing to better yourself. I think it's wild, but yeah insane <laughs> right i'm like healing healing yeah, <laughs> <I'm healing. laughs> uh, yeah. Well, but that's that's straight people for you like anyone that doesn't that you don't follow the thing like when i stopped drinking i got the same thing it's like oh you think you're too good because you stopped drinking i'm like uh what why would i be too drink? good for you i don't drink anymore oh okay i was gonna say because you make uh um the salt right yeah, I do. Yeah. And I think it, I realized that I drank. I mean, I didn't drink before. So I didn't drink before. And I started the, the company on cocktails without even knowing how to drink. Then I got into cool. it because I needed to study it, I guess. And then I realized I was only drinking to be accepted into the space as a legit drinker or a person that is an expert on drinks. But you don't need to drink to be an expert on drinks. So... That is mind-blowing to me. Right? <laughs> yeah, because you just need to have a, a palate for taste, right? Like, you don't actually have to, like, drink all of it and be, like, that in, involved in everything. You know what I mean? But when you yeah. think of entering a community, you're like, oh, I got to go 100%. I got to go all in. This has to embody my, my identity. And you're just like, no, I just want to know this one topic. So read a book. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah. Literally, this reminded me of what you said earlier about right so like in this space right of cocktail making 
the natural idea is that you have to drink to understand it and to be an expert in it. Um, and you're saying right now, like, that doesn't have to be the prerequisite to enter. It mm-hmm. reminded me of what you said earlier about how in feminist spaces, you found that it was the collective trauma that united some of you. Yeah. And that was almost like the prerequisite to be in those spaces. Like, you need a trauma, you need a pain to be in those spaces. There's mm-hmm. a really interesting discussion. So right now, I identify as non-binary. Where I'm just like, you know, I don't really care for either label. You can call me a girl, you can call me a guy. I like both of them. It's okay. But it made me wonder, like, am I trans? Like, am I a trans person for thinking this way? And I looked it up online. And I was like, am I? Because I don't look trans. I don't, I don't think I've ever experienced body dysmorphia in that sense. If anything, I've had maybe, like, gender envy. If anything, like, I wanted to experience like some attributes and stuff but you know the stuff like that and i read an article where someone an educator said that they're trying to dispel the idea that in order to be trans a prerequisite has to be pain a prerequisite has to be um, dysmorphia a prerequisite has to be um shame yeah and instead that trans identity can be founded upon by gender euphoria feeling so incredibly happy in the way that you express yourself and that's fucking dope you know even with yourself like with the cocktails and stuff you know it's less about drinking itself but just more of like the craft exactly it's exciting that's cool kudos to you (laughs) that's dope i had no idea yeah and and you know that also goes into like can you can you be called an expert if you don't do it right or like how do you know if you're not one of us you know and I I wanted to spell that like I don't think that you have to physically endure every single experience to be experienced in what you're saying right you know what that does I think that opens up room for more people yeah which is even better. The more the merrier. Abundance mindset. <laughs> exactly. Yes. All well, right. thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I loved it. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for reaching out. And this is a really cool project you're doing. I think it's awesome. Okay, we're reaching the end of the series. Let's try and find some men that are breaking out of the box and how that has affected their lifestyle from who they consider friends, how they interact with others and how they ultimately view themselves. Make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram, and I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Must Men.